0: All right. Welcome to the Real Conversations podcast. I am your host, Kelly Scar. And today we have a special guest on the show, uh, friend of mine, go pack go, Mr. Ben Fairfield. <laughs> we were uh, just talking prior to firing this up, this podcast up as to whether we've actually done a podcast before. He's unsure. I'm pretty sure that we did. Although I can't really remember. It's been so long, but, uh, you know, Ben and I have, have talked, uh, you know, Ongoing for shoot, I don't even know how long it's been since we've known each other, or even really where we met. I think probably online, right?
1: Yeah, it was it was uh, Twitter back in the day. Yeah, Twitter back in the day. 30, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I,
0: I just jumped. I started jumping back onto Twitter, and I, I don't know the times right now are just it's stupid. I don't even know why I did it because there's just so much idiocy on there right now. <laughs> but uh, hey, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna read off Ben's. um, Ben's uh, bio here, and then we're going to jump into the conversation and uh, we'll get right to it. So Ben Fairfield is a national trainer, coach, and speaker with the John C. Maxwell organization, as well as the director of expansion and sales for the nation's largest real estate expansion team. His passion for leadership development takes him across the country, teaching, training, consulting, and leading masterminds for individuals and organizations of all sizes. He currently lives in Coeur d'Alene with his wife and three sons and enjoys everything in the Pacific Northwest or everything the Pacific Northwest has to offer. A pilot and aircraft traffic controller by trade, Ben entered the real estate industry in 2005. Over the last 15 years, Ben built the largest Century 21 franchise in the world out of 8,400 offices in the international system at the time. Then in January 2011, Ben joined Keller Williams Realty in Coeur d'Alene in his six years as CEO, the company increased sales by 334%, profit by 228.2%, number of agents by 103%, and profit share by 647%. Man, those are some impressive stats, my friend. Don't forget
1: the point two.
0: <laughs> but, but, oh,
1: the point. Yes. Two, I always thought that, two, that was hilarious. that There's a 0.2%. Yeah. Well,
0: hey, those point two percent Those, those people, those are people. They count. Hey, those there numbers, you go. Right? Well, right, man. So air traffic control, like, uh, and you're a pilot. Like what do you, yeah. what do you fly? Helicopters, planes, like no fixed wing. Yeah. airplane. Wing.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. So is there a type of air, special type of aircraft that you're, that you're trained to fly or.
1: No. So <sighs> yeah. I, uh, I was born and raised here in Coeur d'Alene and worked for, I don't, people aren't golfers, they won't know this, but the world's only movable floating golf green is here in Coeur d'Alene. And I worked uh, at that golf course from the time I was 14 all the way through college. And uh, the gentleman who owns it at the time, his pilot was getting up in age, looking at retiring in the next three or five years, so there was a potential opportunity to become Pilot form because he had a, a Gulfstream, which is a really really nice business jet. If you don't know what a Gulfstream is, wow. so um, G five baby G five. Yeah, G five, yeah, yeah. and right off the right off the showroom floor was beautiful. So um, I went to uh, flight school, and I didn't want to go military because I was going to go private corporate pilot, and so uh, went through the, the best private uh, training you could get in the country at the time outside of military. And September eleventh happened halfway through that training. And so that's where the air traffic control came from is because I was back there and figured out very quickly that that was going to change the industry that I thought was my industry, which was the uh, airline industry and and flight industry. It was going to change that dramatically. And to this day, it still has. And so I stayed an extra summer back at school um, and actually got certified as an air traffic controller as well, just to give myself some extra options when I came out because... Uh, what I had the inkling of, and I was uh, obviously right coming out of it, was that the uh, the landscape of becoming a corporate pilot was going to change our requirements and insurance costs for young pilots. And uh, Long story short, uh, that, that opportunity went away. And so that's where that air traffic controller part came in. It was just to kind of diversify a little bit to come into what was going to be an unknown job market, obviously, at the time.
0: Jesus, even back then you were shifting, pivoting, and adapting. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> Didn't yeah. have a choice, man. Didn't have yeah. a choice. It was, you were in the little, middle of it.
0: Little foreshadowing there. That's what, Yeah, that's
1: what absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's yeah. just like now. Like I, I've been on coaching calls almost nonstop for the last two weeks. Right. Um, and what, it's interesting how times in our past have prepared us for the times that we're currently in and times we've yet to go through. Uh, and so I, I think back to that in the same type of a thing, like we can, I could have sat there and, complained about the industry changing and, oh, if this was two years early, I've already be on to my quote unquote, time on my dream job. Uh, I could sit back there and wallow in what, what didn't come to fruition or um, could suck it up buttercup, which is a famous saying that my coaching clients uh, say that I tell them all the time. Um, but so I can suck it up and I can figure out the way forward because sitting and talking about what, what used to be or could have been doesn't move me forward. It doesn't move my family forward. It doesn't move my, my, um, my life purpose forward. So what can I do? Uh, and so that's really where that came from it was looking around what could i act, like actively do right now that would put me in a better position to navigate through the unknown
0: yeah man that that is that is really that is so powerful um you know i i think that looking back on our past and you know using that to you know, look at the lessons that we've gone through and using that to propel us forward is absolutely key, especially right now, right? Um, I think a lot of a lot of realtors, um, well, you, me, uh, most people that I know, I've been doing real estate my entire career, right? I'm 45 years old. I haven't been selling real estate for, you know, 25 years. I, there are agents out there that have been, but, you know, this is like for a lot of people, it's their third or their, their fourth career, right? Um, you know, looking back on on the past, I've gone through a couple of downturns you you've gone through a couple of downturns there's a lot of agents that haven't gone through a downturn they don't know what that is especially in the u.s or you know a lot of agents that are out east in eastern canada right now ontario where you know some markets are still seeing you know competing offer type scenarios even right now under under you know the conditions that we're in um you know eventually all of that's going to dry up and sales are just going to drop off and and um Agents, entrepreneurs, they're gonna have to really fall back and and look to see what they've done in the past in order to be able to propel themselves forward into the future. And and if you don't have that, if you don't think that you have that you really you actually do. You just got to go back a little bit further. If you've only been in real estate for four or five years, you haven't experienced the downturn, right? But going back into your previous job, go, in, go back into those that previous history and look at the time that you went through the tough times and look to see how you pivoted, how you adapted, how you were able to shift not just your mindset but your business or or you know the business that you're in. If you were laid off, what did you do, right? If you're an entrepreneur and you had to shut down your restaurant, what did you do? right? I mean, you weren't out living on the street, hopefully, right? <laughs>
1: you yeah. Know? Well, Jay Kelly, you made me think of two things there. First, it's something my business partner and I've been talking to our, our agents at United Home Group across the country the last two weeks, three weeks. It's that, look, we, we've all had life happen, like you're to your point. We've all had things show up that were unexpected. We've all had bad stuff happen, just like we've had good stuff happen. And the good news for everybody is that there's a 100% survival rate of that. Like we've all 100% survived, no matter what life has thrown at us, we've gotten through it. Doesn't mean right. it's not without pain. It doesn't mean it's not without life change. But we've all made it through. Like we've all survived that. And so I think it's important for us to keep perspective, regardless of whether it's coronavirus or you know, God forbid, whatever comes next, virus. Um, right. But just to keep perspective, no matter what happens in life, it's not a matter of of if I'll survive. It's how am I gonna to come out the other side of this? Who am I gonna be? on the other side of this. And to the point for the real estate agents listening, um, what we've really been focusing on with them is this is not the time to close for sales. Now, if you know me, I, I'm all about closing. I love training closing. I'm not suggesting that we be weak. What I'm suggesting is now more than ever is when we lead with our humanity. This is when we should right. be leaning into those relationships. This is when we call to do the I care calls just to see how are you and your family doing and what can I do to help you um, type of conversation. and. Well, that's going to be a struggle for a lot of people. And I've been talking about this a lot lately too, is the challenge you and I are salespeople. We're, we're competitive people. We like getting results. We like being in control of our own destiny. That's why we're in this industry. That's why we do right. this for a living. Yes. And the reason it works for us is because, Kelly, you and I can sit next to each other doing lead generation. And with a certain number of calls, we're going to get a positive response. We're going to get somebody saying, yes, I'd like you to, to come over and look at my home. Or yes, I'd like more information. We're going to get something that motivates us to keep pushing through the other no's that we hear. The challenge today going forward, at least for the foreseeable future, we're in a season where we're probably not gonna get a lot of those or as many of those yeses. And so how do we as salespeople push forward and continue in the track of the activity that we know will eventually pay off in spite of or in the absence of seeing the results today? I think that's gonna be one of our biggest challenges as an industry and sales in general, outside of the industry. How do we keep doing the activities even though we're not seeing the same results that we were before. I I believe they're going to show up, but I think it's going to be a lot of delayed gratification. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. And we're going to get back into your history, but I I love the, the track that this is going down. And, you know, this is real conversations, man. Like there's, there is no real, uh, Agenda here. Like we're, we're just, we're, we're having a conversation about life, about business, about, you know, whatever it is that we want to talk about. And hopefully there's going to be a tremendous amount of value that comes out of this. And so, um, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned was we as salespeople, we've got to make those calls where we, we actually like bringing humanity back into it. Right. The the unfortunate thing is that I'm not sure that there's really ever been humanity in sales. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll throw that out there. Um, you know, hardcore closers, you know, the guys that are, you know, every, every no is one step closer to a yes. Are you willing to buy or sell in 30, 60, 90 days? Like, you know, those calls are not going, they, they shouldn't be happening. I know that there's some coaching organizations out there that are pushing that, which is really unfortunate. Um, but ultimately, you know, you've read the book, um, Gary Vaynerchuk's first book, Crush It, right? Yep. Okay. There's, there's one chapter in that book and it's one page right? And the chapter is all about marketing. And the one page that's in there, there's one word on that one page and it's care. Mm-hmm. That's it care. That's all, right? That's all we need to do. We just need to actually care. We, you know, it's unfortunate that, that it's taken something like this for <laughs> salespeople to Absolutely. realize that this is what it always should have been about, yeah. right? I'm not calling you because I want to try to get some deals out of you because I want to try to get referrals and repeat business out of you. I'm actually calling you to follow up to say, hey, you bought your house two years ago. I'm calling to see if you need anything. Yeah. I'm calling to see if, if anything's gone wrong with the house. I got a list full of people that I can refer you to. How are things? By the yeah. way, how are the kids? And actually
1: give a shit. Yeah. Caring about the answer, right? 100%. Yeah, that's right. I think there's good news in this for us, too, because I I totally agree with you. In our industry, uh, what we know to be true, because like you said, we've been through a a few of these shifts together. um, We know that this calls the herd, right? So there's going to be some people who should not have ever been in the industry. And this this has got to be true for any sales industry. There's going to be a lot of people that get out of it. And that's okay, because I I believe that customer service goes up as a result of that, not down. Um, The other thing that's interesting in my thought process through this is, this is a huge opportunity for everyone involved, everyone that's gonna maintain um, the, the position of being in sales, whatever the industry is. There's a huge opportunity uh, inside of this pandemic. And I'm not talking about exploiting people, what I'm talking about the opportunity that either way I see it, a shift is a huge redistribution of market share, no matter what industry you're in. Because some people get it and they, they see the opportunity for what it is and they, they, they shift their thinking and they shift their methodologies and they get appropriate to the market of the moment, and others don't, and those others typically go by the wayside, but for the ones that do, for those that do shift and pivot and and start thinking differently about the current situation and changing how it's always been done, well, those are the people that slingshot out of something like this when the recovery happens, and they have an incredible business on the outside edge of this, and they're helping more people than they've ever helped before as a result of this, and it all starts with, how are you showing up today in spite of all of this? I think that's the biggest challenge right
0: now. Yeah, I think it, you know, ultimately it's going to come down to what your whatever your message is, right? What what is your messaging? What is it that you want to put out into the world? What is it that you want to put out into your database? Um, you know, I I made that shift 6 weeks ago. Uh, I started, you know, I, I would do two emails per month, right? One email would go out and be statistic it would be all stats, like stati- yeah. t- statistically based, I guess. Easy for you to uh, see. the second email would be um, you know, kind of airy fairy, a little bit lighthearted, it would be, Hey, this is what's happening in, in the, in the marketplace. Right. I have completely shifted. I've not only have I upped the amount of, of, uh, emails that are going out to my database. I I send out about 4,700 emails. I have 4,700 people on my email list. I get about a 25% open rate on that. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, one quarter of 4,700, whatever that number lays out to be. Um, you know, so, there 's a lot of eyeballs that are that are on the content that i 'm putting out there, and all it is i 'm just trying to help that 's all i 'm trying to aggregate as much information as I possibly can and put that into the email. It has nothing to do with statistics it has nothing to do with what 's going on in the market. It has everything to do with how I can actually help If I can streamline um, and make it so that somebody can click on a link and go to a spot where they need to find this one thing you know, as it pertains to, let's call it, uh, you know, government grants or government loans or like whatever's happening right now in your marketplace, I'm going to provide that, right? I'm, I'm also, you know, committed to providing a little bit of mindset, type of content that's being put out there. And I'll, I'll tell you a reason why. Um, I recently, I put an email out there a few weeks ago and one, I put a couple of links in there. One of the links was a uh, link to a PDF that was put out by, by the Alberta health services, which is, you know, our health services here in our province. And it it had everything to do with mental health. And there were like 30 different points on, on this PDF that talked about how to, um, you know, get through and help, help your own mental health during this crisis. Mm. And then I put another link in there that had to do with something completely different. It was like two opposite sides of the spectrum. The one link that got the most clicks was the mental health link mm. and that right there. What that said to me was these people in my list need this information. They need this yeah. help right? So these are the type of resources we can still use the analytics. We can still push out the content. We, sh- we can still, you know, craft our message and, and make sure that we're top of mind, but we're doing it in such a way that we actually want to help. We, yeah. we actually want to try to aggregate the information and push it out to our database so that they don't have to go searching for it online. We're going to be, we're going to be that portal for them.
1: It's authenticity, Kelly. and that we, yeah. So I've got a group that I, I'm taking through a course right now where they want to become better speakers, trainers, presenters. We call it master faculty, and and we're we're going through this process together, and it's an incredible journey. I'm having a great time with these people, but what's interesting is literally this last week on Thursday is our call. Last week, we had this conversation, and I told them just this because I was going down a similar path with them, that our audience, our, our people, those in our database or our circle or whatever you want to call it, the people around us, they crave authenticity more than they desire perfection. And what you're talking about is just being more authentic, right? I think a lot of agents maybe don't send things or don't do video recording or don't do a lot of things because they're worried that it's not perfect or original content or what have you. They don't care about that stuff. Like you didn't have to go do the studies yourself. You found the studies that were relevant to the people and got it in front of them. And that's what people genuinely are craving right now is authenticity. They don't care about perfection. And I'm doing the same thing. I found it interesting that you said that because we did not talk about this part before. But I think it's interesting because I have a large email list too. And I've been, I went from literally one email per month, one email per month, to now it's one per week. Yeah, and my unsubscribe rate is zero. Right Now, the story I was telling myself was, oh, if I ramp up this content and push all this stuff out, I'm going to have people that, that bag out on me. Not one person, not one person has unsubscribed. Now, is that sustainable? No, there'll be people who unsubscribe. My point is, I was getting in my own way and I was hindering the people I'm sending information to and not helping those people like I could because I was believing my own story that they didn't wanna hear from me that much. It's just interesting how um, the authenticity is shining through with people right now to your point. like, Are you genuinely wanting to help your people or not? Uh, And if not, you better figure out how to get to that point because if not, you may not be in the business to have people to help going forward.
0: So air traffic controller to realtor. (laughs) what happened man what happened yeah
1: so uh so working at the golf course i started off at 14 i wasn't you're not legally able to drive equipment at 14 so um i filled tea divots i had a five gallon bucket uh tea divot mix and a fire a big old soup spoon and so i literally walked the golf course and filled divots with (laughs) divot mix that's how i started right That was my first job um and so long story short worked my way up through and and was was helping to run some of the crews and my very, my last two to three years, I got pulled into the pro shop, which was great. I mean, I didn't make any money, but it was great because I had a beautiful office and I had a private chef and life was cool. So I thought, uh, and my number one retail client, uh, who I interacted with the most was actually the owner of the, uh, of the brokerage that I used to work for, um, the office locally. And so, um, I had my orders. So air traffic control were in the United States for the FAA works this way. You, you get certified and then they tell you where you're going. So you don't get to apply for what position or or what area or any of that. You just put your name in the hat and then they say, congratulations, you're going to here. Well, my placement was Chicago O'Hare and I didn't want to live in Chicago. I didn't want to do air traffic control in Chicago O'Hare. And so long story shorter, um, this gentleman came to me and he said, look, you're born and raised here. You'd absolutely crush it in sales. You don't want to live in Chicago. And I said, no, I don't. And he said, go get your real estate license. So three weeks and two days after that conversation, I had my real estate license and I was selling real estate. Uh, By that, I mean drinking coffee, wondering what the heck just happened and what do I do now? Right. (laughs) That's the transition. That's the, that's literally, that's how all of this last 15 years started was conversation with somebody who, who recognized a need in someone else in their, their circle, um, saw a skill set and just said, Hey, I think there's something here and the rest is history.
0: Man. And so, so you, you, what you, sorry, did you say that you started with Century 21?
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah. I started as
0: an agent. So C21, so your first year, and then all of a sudden you're, you're part of the leadership team, management team, you're helping to grow. Like, I, what was, what was the, the timeline? Sure. From the time that you got licensed to the time that you were helping to grow and
1: build this office. (laughs) It was a blur. So um, I don't know this, but I think that this might have been part of he's a very smart individual. And so I believe this is part of maybe he saw something in me that I didn't see myself at that point. Um, So because I actually only sold for about a year and a half on my own before I I started taking the other path. Uh, And it started off, I ran the relocation department uh, and then they didn't have the position of sales manager for the office. But the company was growing at the time and um, they needed help. And so uh, one thing led to another, the opportunity presented itself, and, and I gladly accepted. And um, So within the course of about a year and a half to two years, I went from just getting my license to uh, being sales manager for the office that we, we inevitably built into the largest in the world for, for the system. Um, so it was, it was a pretty fast ride. It was about six and a half, seven years total uh, with that organization. and definitely grateful for that kickstart into the things. I wouldn't be here today talking with you if it weren't for that uh, chain of events, but um, yeah, it was it was an interesting process. I've just always known that I, my life mission is to impact people. Uh, I like selling. I, I like the sales side of our business. And I'm rewarded more by helping the other people who do sell rather than go make two sales my own or three sales my own this week. Yeah, man, I,
0: I hear you there. That's, that's definitely uh, the thing that gets me up in the morning is, is being able to serve, right. Is being able to help um, you know, the emails that I write out to my, I've got an agent list and I've got uh, I've got my, my database list. And you know, I I send stuff out to my agent list, like one to two times a week, same sort of thing. My unsubscribe rate on that list is very, very low because I'm, you know, I'm just coming at this from the heart. And I'm I'm just trying to do the best I possibly can for, you know, for my family, for, you know, um, the people that are around me and, and, um, trying to put up the the best content that I can, like an email that I sent out this morning had to do with just being angry and Mm -hmm. dude, it's okay to be angry.
1: Yeah. Just
0: don't, don't allow it to eat you up. Like, you know, it's, it's super easy to be super angry right now. Like I, I was, I was pissed off like all (laughs) weekend long. I was just freaking mad. Right. Like our weather here is not like it is in Coeur d'Alene right now. Like it freaking snowed last night, dude, like just, and you know, the weather is not where it should be right now. Like we're about seven or eight degrees lower than where we should be where the, you know, seasonal highs are at. And so that on top of, um, being cooped up at home and, you know, businesses down and, you know, all of these things, it's, it's so easy to be angry and to really start to, um, to take points on actually I, I read this thing i 'm actually reading the compound effect by darren Hardy and there 's this, this one section in the book. I was actually going to write it down today, and I, I, I had to jump on the podcast with you but one of the things that he was talking about was somebody that he, he was in business with, and this they were going through the downturn. And this guy, all he kept talking about how was how bad things were, and how bad things were getting, and how bad his business was. And Darren was actually in business; he was an investor, I guess, with this guy. And and Darren basically said, you know, I'm watching you go through this, and and all you're doing is you're you've created this presentation and all of these bullet points as to why you're right. Mm-hmm. Right? I I don't want to be in business with people like that. I don't want to be around people like that. And so like, that was, that was an eye opener for me, but you know, I went out for a walk last night and just to clear my head and also part of, you know, this phase one of 75 hard that I'm doing, but a a big, big part of my walk last night for 45 minutes was just thinking about all of the things that are really, really good right now. Mm. All the things that I'm super, super grateful for. Right. And when I started going through the list of things, it was like, it, it's just, it's so far outweighs all of the negative shit that's, that's yeah. running through my brain. Pales right? in comparison. Right. But, but I'm, I'm also giving myself permission to be angry. Right. right. At the same time, I'm also saying, you know, I'm not going to allow this to eat me up. Anyways, that was a side note. One of the things that I remember you telling me about how you got recruited by KW. Uh, you were, I think you were up on stage at c 21 one and accepting an award <laughs> of some kind and KW was in the room. They came up to you afterwards or maybe tell that story.
1: Yeah. So, um, (laughs) so I was 21, 22, 22, probably, I think. Um, and here we are, we had convention in Florida and and I'm walking across the stage with um, a couple other people, one of the owners of the company and a couple other people. I can't remember all who, but, um, here's this young punk kid in a beautiful, mind you mustard color blazer, um, getting this award for the number one office in the system out of 8,400. Um, and I can tell you that catches people's attention now. Yeah. (laughs) What I know is that that little piece of glass would not have been possible without many people other than myself. Like they're the ones that really did all the behind-the-scenes work and made it happen. So, um, but I was the one that got to be lucky enough to be on the stage, right? And so, um, at the time, the the K W office in that same town uh, was struggling, and the owners who had it. Um, looking back on it, I think they're all great people, but I think they were they liked the concept of the the franchise that they had bought into, but they weren't leveraging it they were almost acting as if they were they wanted the logo but nothing else right and so it wasn't even like there's a joke in keller williams you know it's keller who when it's new in some place it was keller boo like people had already heard about it it had run its course um and it was failing and so um long story short when, when i was on stage that caught the attention of some other people um and that's it was i was actually connected by a third party um, with keller williams to begin discussing hey do you want to come do something with this. Do you want to come take because it was was within um, a few months of being shut down um, before they recapitalized and got new investors and were kind of starting this this new venture into what this could become. And that's right about the time that I stepped into it, which looking back was incredibly awesome timing. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just an interesting. I wasn't. It was a classic thing of you never looking for the opportunity when it finds you. Uh, you're. Ne- I would have. I went from literally the company in town at the time with over 30% market share. To the company that everyone was like, oh, and no one would touch with a ten foot pole, and no market share, um, you know. And man, what a what an incredible ride it was! So um, there again, one of those that we talked about in the first part of this, right? Looking at our current circumstances, you have always have two choices: I can look and see the opportunity, or I can wallow in what I thought was going to be. And there were things at C Twenty One. I had aspirations to do different things at that company, and it didn't turn out. And now looking back on it, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. Because I've grown so much as a result of taking the path that I took. Uh, and so it's all choices. I mean, we talked I talked, I had a video on my Facebook page that that was my profile actually, that just went viral. I didn't mean it to. Like I literally read some stuff to my partners, then put it on Facebook, and it's being shared all over the place and there's tons of views on it and, and it's from John Maxwell. It's not even my content. There again, I don't have to be original and I give him credit, but I just right. want to be authentic. And it was talking about how do we cultivate hope. There's three ways to cultivate hope. Now more than ever, that's, that, that messaging, that authentic care for our people is what matters so much. And it's just, it blows me away to see that when you and I and anyone else who's listening, when our focus is on the betterment of other people, when it's on the good of the other to the detriment of ourself, when we put ourselves second, which is what leadership is. Right. Amazing things happen for us. Like amazing things happen for us. Well, maybe again, take us like, through. I
0: mean, you're, you're a speaker and a coach through the, with the John C. Maxwell uh, organization, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So, so take us through the, those, those three principles. then.
1: Yeah, man. So, um, I, you know, I won't do it complete justice if anybody wants to see it friend me on Facebook and you can see the video there, but, um, there's three ways, right? The first one he talks about is, uh, understand that, realize that hope is a choice and that's what you were talking about when you took that walk. Right. Yeah. Now, again, like I've talked to, I talked to a client today that was kind of like on the edge of losing their stuff. And I told him, I said, look, having the emotion is human acting on the emotion or letting the emotion rule you is fatal. Like right. it doesn't, it doesn't mean a bad thing to feel the, like I feel fear and anger and stuff every single day. And I'm authentic and telling everybody that wants to know that, right? Like I'm human too. Like this is affecting me and my family the same way it's affecting everyone else. However, each day we have a choice. And his point, the first one is hope's a choice. And he gives a great example of a guy in the, the San Francisco fires, um, lots of really great need and content. But the, the bottom line is, it's a choice. Here's there's one thing he says in this first one I want to read to you because I think this is a key distinction for everybody.
0: Right.
1: He said it's a difference between optimism and hope. So check this out, man. Optimism is the belief that things will get better. Hope is the faith that together we can make things better. One's passive, right. one's active. Yeah. Like one's saying, I'm choosing to just take it for what it is and move myself, my family, my people forward. The other is Jesus, take the wheel. I'm throwing my hands up and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And I think humans make both of those decisions probably simultaneously a lot of times. But as leaders, as, as business owners, entrepreneurs, people who want to, to truly impact other people long term, we have to make the right choice. We have to choose hope, right? Because everyone's watching. And I think that's the biggest thing a lot of us miss right now is we underestimate how many people are watching us at all time. Number one thing I hear with people that I coach is oh, I'm not a leader. You're a leader, but I'm not a leader. Absolutely, you're a leader. You're a dad, you're a wife, you're a husband, you're a spouse, you're a, an uncle, a brother, a sister, whatever. You're a leader. People are following you. Right. We just take for granted the fact that people are following us. And so the choice I make impacts significant amounts of other people, no matter who you are, I am, anyone else listening is. The minute we really come to terms with that, we realize that hope is a choice and it's a choice we have to make, even if it's a hard one. Right? Second one he says is change your thinking. he's all talking about perspective, essentially, right? And I'm I'm paring this down, of course. Um, But he says this. Bad things. Here's what he says. People who fear. People who fear, which fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real. People who fear the worst tend to invite it. Mm. Right? So what's our perspective? How are we choosing Mm. to see this? Like, is there all you have to do? Like you mentioned it, go on Twitter, go on Facebook. Go on CNN or Fox or whatever God knows news source you get your stuff from. I don't care. It's not a political statement. But go anywhere, and it's not hard to find all the fear and the terrible things and the bad stuff happening. But, Kelly, is there also great stuff happening right now As in spite of all this?
0: Oh, 100% there is.
1: Families 100%. are getting closer together. Spouses yeah. are getting to know each other better. Kids are getting to spend more time with – my dog! loves the pandemic because my dog, I'm more home working every day. She's asleep at my feet right now. Like there's so much good that always is happening at the same time there can be bad. But what are we choosing to focus on, right? That's his point for number two. And then number three uh, is win small victories. And you are a champ at this because I've watched your progression with um, the working out. You know, you don't, nobody says, I'm going to go from zero to 200 miles an hour in 30 seconds. Like I've, I'm going to create a habit in two days and I'm going to stick with it. And I'm going to become exactly who I want to be. No, we take incremental bite size, consistent steps. Right. And so what he's talking about here is winning small victories. Can I read one more thing to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely, man.
1: So he says this, and I love this comparison. He's talking about, When people sense victory or sense defeat, and the importance of having small victories is that it fuels us, much like we were talking about earlier in our conversation. He says this, when people sense victory, they sacrifice in order to succeed. But when they sense defeat, they give as little as possible. When people sense victory, they look for ways to win. When they sense defeat, they look for excuses. Kelly, how many people do we know right now that are making excuses as to why they can't do business, can't lead generate, Mm -hmm. can't make Mm -hmm. sales, can't talk to their people? I don't yeah. care. It's easy to come up with a list of ways you can't do what you need to do right now. Show me the two ways that you could. Yeah, you I don't know, care about all the reasons you can't.
0: Some of the top teams in, in North America right now, they're, they're doubling down on, on their lead generation efforts. They're doubling down on the training of their agents. They're doubling down on you know, the culture that they've been able to create. Um, you know, I've been saying this ever since all of the, stu- the, all of the start of the brokerages that survive this. You know, there's a lot of a lot of talk right now about well, do we really need bricks and mortar? Do we really need you know the the um, the uh, the non bricks and mortar, the digital brokerages are gonna are gonna be the only ones that come out of this alive, and they're gonna survive. And I'm like, eh, I don't think so. You know, at at the end of the day, I think the brokerages that survive all of this are the ones that are they're not giving into the fear, they're not giving into the, the defeat, and they are pushing forward and trying to provide as much value to their agents as they possibly can. If you take that concept from a salesperson's perspective and put it into your own business, it's the same bloody thing, right? The, Man, the people that are giving it. the immense amount of value to their databases, to the people that they know, like, and that know, like, and trust them. Those are the people that are going to wind up winning, like getting, you know, basically surviving through this whole thing. Dude, you um, just
1: nailed it. It's value. So I'm going to yeah. jump in really quick. You, you're, this is such a key point. It doesn't matter whether it's real estate brokerage, it doesn't matter what industry it is, but businesses right now have a choice to make. We can either reinvent, and it doesn't mean completely abandon who we are from before this, but we can reinvent maybe our approach and how, our methodologies. We, those, those who reinvent will right. come out of this stronger. Those who right. remain tied into the way it always was because it's the way it always was, they may not make it out. But your right. key, the key point you just made is, this is a season right now, a mentor has told me for about three months now, going consistently, getting through this, the companies who ask themselves this question will succeed coming out of this at a level they could have never imagined. The question is, how do I provide more and charge the same or less? Right. We've got a number of companies right now who think that they can just increase their cost or cut expenses all the way to profitability. And at some point, when you're cutting expenses, you cut bone. Like you're down to bone, there's nothing else to cut. So you can only cut expenses so far. You have to at the same time increase revenue if you want to grow your company and you want to survive long term. And I don't care whether it's an individual sales associate in any industry or a company, a sales company employing those people. It doesn't matter what the industry is. The question we got to be asking ourselves is how can we? how can we provide more value, tangible and intangible, but how can we provide more value for the same or less money than we were charging before? Because those people, those organizations, those groups, whatever, those are the ones who are going to come through this. Grateful for having gone through the experience because it created, it forced the innovation necessary for them to, or to catapult them to the head of their pack.
0: Yeah. I I heard this said this morning on a webinar and it was um, reinforce your backstop right? So look at the business, understand where your expenses are, understand where you can cut and then double down on the things that that are absolutely working. I had a great conversation with a, a colleague and a friend of mine this morning and he's he's at one of the big brands and it's like, you know, I, I don't know if I can justify this thousand bucks a month right now. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, a couple of ways to look at this. So like if you do two deals, if the brand brings you two deals right now, will that be enough justification for you to continue to hang your license there? That's, that's question number one. Question number two is, is the brand providing you enough value to get you those two deals? Right. And if you can't answer yes to those two questions then you probably got your answer, Correct. you probably know what you need to do. Right. So, you know, absolutely reinforce the backstop, look at the expenses, look at what you can cut right now, and then double down on the things that are absolutely 100% working. You know, right now there are so many eyeballs online, right? Look at like Zoom, how we're shooting this podcast right now, right? Look at Zoom as an example. Like they've, they shot up, they went from 7 million users in one week to now over 221 million. Yeah. Right, like it, it's gotten so big and so out of control that they're like Zoom podcasts and and meetings and stuff are getting Zoom bombed, right? <laughs> there there are groups of of bots getting into these recordings and just absolutely taking over the recording, right? It's so you know when you're when you're looking at it from the, from these types of perspectives, it, it becomes really easy to then say if i get rid of like you said if i if i don't cut to let's let's say we don't cut to the bone but we keep reasonable expenses that are going to allow us to generate more sales more revenue all that's going to happen is that graph you know so we've got the the sales are going up the revenue is going up but our expenses are down here that gap in between that's our that's our profit margin. margin yeah right that's the margin so you know if we can grow the margin in an in an era right now like you go back to 2008 2007, 2008, 2009, here in our market with 2010, 2011 was really when the recession hit. Mm. Um, You know, our market started to retract. I know with you guys in 2007, the market started to take a really big hit, right? REOs were the big thing. Foreclosures were, were really, really big. People absolutely had to shift uh, their mindset. They had to shift their business. And like you said, there was a calling of the herd at some point. Those people that spent three weeks in getting a real estate license and really had no business being in the business at that point, those were the people that wound up getting jobs at Starbucks or, you know, finding no offense against Starbucks, but, you know, going, <laughs> getting out of the business and going and doing something else, I guess is my point.
1: Right. Right. Well, and it makes me think of the old adage that you've heard it a million times before. I'm sure they have too, but cost is only an issue in the absence of value. Right. Cost is always only an issue in the absence of value. So to your point with virtual brokerages or agents who are, you know, doing a deal for pennies or peanuts compared to what everyone else is charging. Like that tells me when somebody goes straight to price to compete, it tells me they're out of value to provide. Like they don't know what else to do. And so I I think the cautionary tale, a couple of big businesses that I coach and and consult for the cautionary tale for them that I've been sharing, at least from my research and experience and in that of people that I follow this is not necessarily a time to go try to compete on cost. It is, however, a time to re-margin the business, make sure expenses are in check. They're absolutely necessary things that are important. But what I can tell you is, you know them as well as I do, they're agents who charge more than their competition and they have people lining up to work with them and they have through good and bad markets. So That's right. It, the easy thing to do right now, in my opinion, is to look at it and see, see, look, I'm cutting everything. And then there's another excuse as to why it may not work out. The harder thing to do, and the, the, the onus is on the business owner, the entrepreneur, to actually lean into this and say, what's prudent to cut? What must I keep? And then what do I absolutely have to leverage at a higher level or use at a higher level than I've ever used it before to justify keeping the expense? When we over-deliver to our people, we deliver more value than anyone else, they don't care what it costs. Right. If I could guarantee you a magic pill that you could take, which seems every real estate agent always is looking for, but if I could sell you that magic pill. It would mean you could make a million dollars next year. You wouldn't care if I charged you $200,000 for the pill, would you? No. You wouldn't flip and care. The cost of the pill would be irrelevant because right. the value to you, the 800 grand, is worth, I'd give 200 to make 800 all day long, right? Yeah. That's the same concept with business, in, in my opinion, right now. It's not necessarily how can we cut to zero and just hope that it blows over. Like That's what weak-minded people are doing right now. I think entrepreneurs and those who are going to thrive on the other side of this and help a lot of people as a result are those who are saying, where do I need to cut so that I can have excess to put into the things that work so that I can continue serving and delivering value at the highest level possible.
0: Double down, triple down. Okay. So we've we've covered economics, you know, the financial side of it. We've covered (laughs) uh, some mindset stuff, right? Embrace the suck. It's okay to be angry, right? Leverage uh, your past experiences, be able to propel yourself forward. What do what do entrepreneurs, what do agents right now outside? Let's let's talk specifically about realtors. What what do realtors right now, how do they need to shift their business? What do you guys at UHG, United Homes Group, you and Cody, what are you guys talking about with your agents right now and, and really how to shift them? Um, Actually, before we get into that, why don't you why don't talk a little bit about UHG? What, what is UHG? How did it start? You know, where has it come to, um, you know, and, and uh, just kind of give a breakdown as to what the, what the premise is and what, what, your guys's, uh, what your vision and values and goals are. And then, and then from there, we'll get into, um, you know, kind of what you're counseling the agents on and how to actually shift their business.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so United Home Group is uh, what we call an expansion team. Uh, expansion is a concept that Gary, Gary Keller had because we're with Keller Williams. Gary Keller has had this idea for, um, well, clear back to the 70s, the last I could see it recorded in company stuff. Um, he's tried to bring it to the market a couple times. Market wasn't, industry wasn't ready for it. Um, but the premise is and the idea behind it was um, in a company like Keller, there's plenty of other big companies that have networks, but like in Keller Williams, there are over 800 offices across the country. So there's a large network built already established. And inside the Keller, the reason we're at Keller, the Keller model they all, they all march at least close to the same beat, right? We speak the same language, we use the same financial software, like there's, there's enough similarities to where the business is done close enough in each location that it's easy to spread or build a bigger business across all those locations. Right. And so what Gary did is he said, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we open up our network of offices and market centers that we've already put together with local ownership to these expansion teams? So the top teams in the country now take what's working in their hub location, their main location, and simply replicate it all across the country in as many of those 800 offices they choose. right? So it allows us as business owners to scale our business to the level where, quite frankly, we wouldn't be able to in nearly the same amount of time. We can get, we've done this in uh, what, about five years total time, got to 23 states right. um, with, with over 150 wow. locations. because the networks already set up like there's no way we'd even come close to that if we were doing it one off on our own and so um, that's the concept of expansion Uh, so UHG we have partners across the country Um, they want to get more information to go to UHGConnect.com. but essentially that's the the 10,000 foot file review Mm -hmm. so we serve our our agent partners is what we call them uh, in a couple of ways we we provide them um, commissions Inc which is a lead generation platform We'd, we'd spend pay per click money driving traffic there. we provide them lots of other tools and resources, technology, weekly coaching, things of that sort. Uh, so we, we talked with them a lot. And every Friday, the la- well, ever since this started, Cody and I, we typically switch off who's going to be teaching the, the national call each week that we do for our partners. Um, and since this all started, he and I have been on together. And really, our primary focus is on a couple of things. First, it's on their mindset, like you talked about. Because if, if that gets out of check, they're no good for their people. They're they're not going to help anybody, right? So um, it it seems redundant, but every week we're bringing something on, what we should be focused on. How do we guard our mindset? How do we take proper perspective of the current situation? Doesn't mean pretend like it's not there, but how do we put it in proper perspective? Um, Then the second comes down to how often, how frequently are we touching our people? Like right now, more than ever, they need to hear from us. And so getting really granular with strategies on, um, how how do we get to our people? Like you said eyeballs are on screens more now than they ever have been likely You yes. won't know that until after this But I'd be yes. willing to bet a lot as you would that we, we have screen time right now like we've never seen before Yes, and so so how are we how are we taking our message to our people? And it's not like we talked about in the beginning of this It's not necessarily the message of who do you know? It's looking to buy or sell in the next 30 days It's hey Bill and Sue. How are you and the kids? Hey Tom? how are are you and your wife? Hey, how's the, how are the dogs? How's your business? How's your small business? How can I help you? How can I help support you? Right. But it's, it's leading with the humanity, but it all starts with conversations. And what's fascinating to me is the human condition and it's across any industry. But right now when times get tough, we want to believe that they're always tougher on us. Right. And so we go, Oh, you know what? Look at all the bad, look at all the challenge I have right now. I couldn't possibly be a beacon of hope to somebody else. And then you start making those calls and you start talking to people and you realize you have it pretty darn good. Yeah. And now there's an obligation to reach as many of those people and stay in contact with as many of those people as possible. And this takes a lot of different forms. This can be, we have something we call the Facebook A to Z, which I can get you to share with anybody that's listening, no problem. But they're going through your Facebook friends list and targeting people with the last name of the first letter, A through Z, on certain days. So you can get through your entire database on Facebook, just sending them a quick little message on Facebook Messenger the response right there is freaking massive because everyone's on Facebook all the time right now. That's right. And so it can be as, as granular and tactical as that all the way to, we have a group of people who are beginning to lead happy hours, not for business, but just for their friends and their network and their database doing Zoom rooms like this, where they can just come together every Friday at four o'clock, show up with a drink. And we're not, ta- we don't get to talk about coronavirus. We're just talking about having fun. We're doing jokes. They're wearing crazy stuff on camera they can make each other laugh. Like, it can take such a, a broad path. But the point is, it's a people contact business. And right now, more than ever in sales, we have to be in contact with our people. Right. And it's easier for a lot of people who aren't used to working remote to hide, right? We can all hide right now. You're not, I'm not, like we're working. Yeah. Like this is what I do every single day, all day. But for a lot of people who are not used to this, this is new and they're not doing the work. They're not communicating with their people. Uh, right. And so we're really stressing the importance with our people of suiting up showing up and getting up. Just get busy. Just go get in front of people. If you have anything to say, just say, hi, that's a great place to start. But that's really, that's the, the brilliance of it, if you will, is quite simply just talking to your people and frequently.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the, how I ended off my email to my agent list today was, you know, like just a list of things that they could go out and do like, you know, this what a what an opportunity for you to go out and clean up your serum. Yeah. Right. Like I, you know, I went back to a company that I was with for four years and I, it, it had all of my deals going back to 2012. Well, I've been setting my timer on my phone for 30 minutes a day. It's part of my power list, three power list things that I have to get done every single day. And all I'm doing is I'm going to my CRM. I'm, I'm going into the deal. I'm looking at the, the client, checking out the email address, making sure that the, that the, um, uh, client set up on a market report, making sure that their address matches up and making sure that their anniversary date is set and it's in the calendar. And that's all I'm doing. Like, it's mind-numbing work, but hey, I got the time. I might as (laughs) well do something productive. Absolutely. Right? Or it's, you know, it could be something like starting a podcast, like Frick, go out and interview local businesses that are having a hard time that you can help push their message, push their product, push whatever it is, right? Those people are going to remember you. Listen to a podcast, pick up a book, right? Just do something. Don't sit around doing nothing because if you sit around doing nothing, I'll guarantee you at the end of all of this, you will be out of business. You will be working at Starbucks. You will be off in the unemployment line doing God knows what. You won't be doing what you're doing today. And that's right? what Cody, so,
1: my business partner shared. We, we did some national calls for KW a couple of weeks ago when this all started, just wanting to pour into to all of KW. And one thing he said on his time uh, that has been re requoted and tweeted and all that stuff multiple times since, but it's to your point. Um, the only wrong thing right now is to do nothing. Yes. There is no wrong answer on yes. what you could do. Like If you have it down on your list as an idea you have that you could do, the answer is yes, you should do that. It's There's right. no wrong answer. The only wrong answer is doing nothing. That's that's the one thing that will sink your ship right now. But staying busy, staying in communication with our people, genuinely communicating care for those people. When we ask the question, actually listening for the answer, right? Like yeah. actually caring about our people. It's an, it's an intangible um, benefit right now that will pay off in spades on the other side of this because The old adage again, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, the days of sending stats and stuff, while that that may have its place once in a while, we need to be communicating just human to human right now way more than anything else. Just quite frankly, I'm thinking about you. How are you doing? This is the time for reconnecting, like you said, with the the database. I would imagine a lot of people listening to this call have people in their database they haven't talked to in years. Oh, yeah. They've relied upon a system to send an email, which is so personal, as you and I know. It's so personal to just send an email. Right. But this is a phenomenal opportunity, not only to reconnect with our family, but heck, what happens if we actually reestablish relationships with people in that CRM during this course of time? What does your business look like when you've got stronger relationships with three quarters of the people in your database that didn't exist before? Yes. Like there's no telling how big the benefit of the, the good things that come out of something as terrible as this pandemic are. Yet it only happens for people that take action. Doing nothing is the only wrong thing.
0: Yeah, 100% agree with that. You know, I there's a lot of people out there that will say, "Well, you know, I'm you know, you're talking about Zoom and I'm not great with technology." Well, guess what? You got the freaking time, get good with technology, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like completely you can you have such a great opportunity to completely shift your business to digital, right? If oh. everything that you were doing was all paper and pen based, Listen, that doesn't exist anymore. You've got to embrace yes. some of these certain technologies, right?
1: Well, and Kelly, but to look, that if, point. if
0: like, my 11-year-old daughter can go and set up her own Zoom account.
1: Yes. Like, come on. That's, that's my whole point in this. I think right now it's a gift for those who used to use the excuse of I'm not good at technology right. yeah. because here's what I'm betting on. Now, I don't have a crystal ball no more than anybody else does. So anybody tells you they know exactly what's going to happen after this, they're a liar and run away. <laughs> but I'd be willing to bet a lot that our industry specifically to real estate sales never again looks like some of the ways it did before. Absolutely like right. Buyers are getting used to virtual walkthroughs where the agents walking through doing a zoom to or a Facebook live to or a FaceTime to or whatever your technology right. is of the home. Right? So for those agents listening right now, who maybe even if they don't want to admit it, had that thought, like I don't do technology, well you better figure it out or you might not do the business at the other side of this because there are some things again, necessity is the greatest mother of invention. There are yes. things that we've been forced to do because of this, I firmly believe will become the new norm on the other side of this because buyers looked at it and went, oh, I kinda like that. I, I like not having to go to all the showings. That's Maybe right. I'll have you UH agent go through and do the first couple with me on, on the phone at my office and then we'll narrow it down to two or three that we actually wanna go take our time to walk through. Right. But I and like
0: you this. know. Look at it from a, from a team leader perspective as well, right? So the team lead, has got all of these agents on their team. And in order for them to be able to leverage this, instead of working with multiple buyers and having your buyers agents take these buyers out, these buyers agents are out just doing walkthroughs. They're just doing tours yeah. for these buyers, right? And maybe that's, that's a salaried position now.
1: Yeah, right. it's incredibly
0: efficient. Yeah, it really is. There's, there's, yeah, man, like you said, there's just going to be so much innovation that comes through this. I really want to get to the most important point about this call. You know, every other sport has been canceled. They canceled the masters, they canceled the British open. I mm-hmm. mean, what do you think, man? Is the NFL going to be canceled? September's a long ways away. I uh, man,
1: I hope not. So here's my biggest fear with that. Like I, I love all sports. Don't well, not all. I love most sports, Yeah. Uh, but I love Green Bay Packers football the most because um, I have common sense. So I love the Packers and I love football. My only fear is they're talking about this may come back in the fall, even if it goes away into it, you know, over the summer months.
0: Second wave sort of Yes,
1: thing. that's yeah. the part that's not only, okay, yes, of course, for all the other reasons, but we're talking Packers football. That's the part that scares me the most because that would be showing right. up right about the time the season's kicking off. So, man, I don't know. I hope so. It's really depressing when you go to the ESPN app and it's just black, just blank. Yeah, it's I in know. There.
0: Yeah. I, I saw somebody post uh, a replay of WrestleMania and they're like, this is the only sports that are on sports. I'm like, Oh God,
1: that's what we really, come to. I
0: stopped rest- watching WrestleMania when I was like 14, I think.
1: So, yeah. You know. yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. I, I really, really hope so because uh, I love watching the best football team in the world. Absolutely. Play amazing football and it's going to be really sad if we don't get that opportunity this year.
0: Yeah, you know it would be even would be even more sad is if we get to a point where we're in the NFC Championship game and they have to cancel the game. Yeah. Right? Or we're in we're in the Super Bowl and they got to cancel the Super Bowl. I mean, I'd rather have it be canceled at the beginning of the season the rather end, than that, yes. that happening,
1: right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh man. That'd be almost more depressing, yeah. It would 100%. Be.
0: It, it really would be. Yeah. Hey brother, you know what? I, I, I want to thank you for this. Um, I, I want, if you can just stick around after I, I stop the recording here, I, I still want to chat with you, uh, just off the call, but, uh, sure. really wanted to thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for sharing. Um, we're going to end the call right there. Um, anybody that would like to get in touch with you, how would they do that?
1: My website's the fastest way, man. It's just benfairfield.com. Uh, they can link to everything from that one spot.
0: Okay. Sounds good. We will definitely put that up on the links wherever this uh, podcast is going to be seen, likely going to be on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, of course, up on YouTube. And we'll also be uh, putting all of those links onto my website as well. So thank you very much again, my friend. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: All right. Take care.